Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. There's Andy Wood. Hello there. How was work? It was fine. <laughs> it was it was cool. We, yeah, I'm I'm currently a week or so away from the launch of the Jim Jeffrey Show on Comedy Central, in which I'm a writer. As is our guest today, Sue Regal. How you doing? Hey, I'm good. We we just you're gonna notice this happening quite a lot over the next few weeks. <laughs> where just. Various guests on the show are just people that I've nabbed from the office at short notice. <laughs> That's exactly what happened today. I was like, hey, Sue, what are you doing in an hour and a half's time? Well, I thought I was special, but... You, you know. are special. You're super special. You special. were the first person I asked out of the four <laughs> options in the office. And you're special in your ability to tolerate coming and spending more time after just being locked in... Are you guys in a writer's room together most of the day? Yeah, separate... yeah we are. We, we have little offices that we could disappear off to from time to time to write, but a lot of the time we're just around one big table. Okay. Are you going to try to sneak in any any like sort of Easter eggs for probably science listeners into the show? That hadn't even occurred to me. Right? I don't know. What, what should we be, try? But... What will we try and sneak in? Like a... F- a full 10-minute long podcast on science. Yeah, yeah, just on the side, like so they won't notice. Yeah, yeah, like in the background, we'll be podcasting. Maybe we can ask people, tweet at Probably Science, uh, like a word that you want to see make its way into a script that's like a unique <laughs> enough word. It could still serve a joke, but if it's in there, you'll know Matt snuck it in for you. Yeah, let's give it a go. Yeah. Let's, uh, and also bear in mind, like it's still, every script then gets filtered through Jim. So there's every chance, like he rewords everything. So there's yeah. every chance it won't Why make it all Why do all of Matt's jokes involve the word hypotenuse? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my hypotenuse is that this is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know what the word means. <laughs> um, hey, Sue, uh, we, we ask our guests this before we get um, into the stories. We always ask our guests, what, if anything, is your background in science? Uh, well, I studied actuarial mathematics. I started in bioengineering and then I switched over. All right. Oh. So I know a little bit. Does that mean, is that like specifically related to insurance? That's the only way you yeah. see that word I know. Yeah. It? So it's, um, <laughs> I mean, I didn't give a, am I allowed to cuss on this? Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, it. I didn't give a fuck about actuarial science <gasps> yeah. or I math. I didn't think you meant to serious, <laughs> like, not the F cuss. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't like give a, a dang or H-E something. double. Yeah, H-E double. We can edit that out. <laughs> I'm so in trouble. <laughs> I liked physics and I liked bioengineering, and then I just chose actuarial mathematics because someone told me they would help get me a job if I moved to New York. Oh, okay. So that's all. At an insurance company. Yeah, a lot of them work. You can do different things with it, but a lot of actuaries just work for insurance companies because it's a good way to work and like finance without working crazy hours. Like it's very, uh, it's mostly about um, evaluating risk and probability of things happening, right? Exactly, so it's financial a lot of st- modeling and stuff like that. Okay, so a lot of statistics, a lot of like uh, modeling death boring rates. Boring shit! Oh my god, it's so boring. <laughs> It wasn't you, fun at all. Like you didn't find any kind no. of Malcolm Gladwell surprising turns out kind of moments. The where- only th- time, well, this is really dark. The only time, well, well, fuck it. I guess I'm going to go there. The only useful thing I took out of that is they had. I saw the mortality tables for joint life policies, uh-huh. and I got to see in numbers how much like when one spouse dies, like how we factor oh. for when the next spouse is going to die. So it like that impacted me because this is dark, and I apologize no, for no, just no, going. No. No, no, no. Um, there was like a point where I was suicidal in New York and like having seen that I think it saved my life because I was like I couldn't possibly do that to my family because like I remember seeing numerically like how they just factor years off of someone's life because oh, oh, their loved oh. one dies so it's like it's seeing that numbers really impacted me that saved you from it was like one of the main reasons I thought it was too selfish because I remember seeing that chart. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Which is crazy. Uh, it is. Yeah. I just fin- I just finished watching Chris Gethard's uh, special about some of the same topics. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. I haven't seen it yet. Chris Gethard's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's bleak, but I'm glad that <laughs> actuarial science saved your life. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, yeah. If we got anything out of that degree, it's the fact that you're still around. Yeah. So, yeah. fuck yes. Well, actually, this That's is true. it's timely talking about that kind of stuff because, like, what's your take on on health insurance? And <laughs> like, obviously, an insurance company exists to collect more in premiums than they pay out in benefits. Yeah, and you do that by evaluating what's the biggest risk, and those people get charged. Like, it if it's purely a free market model, 
it does make sense to judge people for pre-exist for anything you can do that'll exactly. like exactly. But then, well, if our new model is like, okay, everyone should be taken care of, then don't make it a free market business. Make it a government thing that's just paid. Like, but when it's just mix of the two, I'm like, well, what is it? Is it a thing where you're allowed to try to find what's risky and then factor that in or not? You know. Well, I think like you have to put certain like social parameters within it where it's like people need coverage so it's almost like you want to have as much of the free market as you can because it fosters competition and innovation like i do believe in that but you still have to put certain parameters on it like yeah like if you allow everything to just run like free market like we would still have sweatshops and people working ridiculous hours but like you cap that and then once you put caps to ensure people are treated a certain way you let the market work the way it's going to work but you can't not have those protections right yeah so like what's the point when it comes to health insurance of having actuarial mathematics if you can't you can't adjust anything based on that no you can like it depends on like 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 well, can you can you can you change someone's rates based on gender or age or things like that that will make them a higher or lower risk you know or well not it doesn't work like that it's more like so i know this is like the profitability of us offering this payout yeah or like this amount of money per year so it's like we're it's not like we're tailoring it to a specific person but like um like what would we need to charge them to keep ourselves afloat or make a profit but so, you'd have to charge someone who is who has a pre-existing condition a lot more to stay afloat, right? If it's uh, if it's a free market thing. If it was a free market thing, yeah, for sure. And that's the thing I can't I can't come to terms with. It's like we're living in this weird nether region, and I feel like well, we'll just make it a public thing completely and remove yeah. for at least health insurance and maybe like for auto and other stuff, it stays free market. But like everyone acting so like surprised that insurance companies do these things, like well, they're a business. Their whole point yeah. is. Not to pay out more than they take in. That's not a business. <laughs> is there... I don't know enough about other countries' healthcare systems. Is there one that has a mix of the two that's actually like working harmoniously? I, I, we've got a lot of Australian listeners, and I, I think Australia does have... I think they call it either... I can't remember if they call it Medicare or Medicaid, but they call it... It has the same name as America's, but it has a different system. And I think theirs is some kind of weird hybrid where it's sort of private healthcare, but publicly funded. They do... Australians write in and explain your system. Britain's like, <laughs> Britain's this sort of was originally like all single, what Americans call single payer, like just yeah. out of taxation. Uh, but now bits of it are being sold off in a very unpleasant way by the conservatives. Mm. But then here's the other thing Americans don't get about the British system. People still have private health insurance and there are still private hospitals. You can still do that, but it's more like, it's more like buying business class on a flight. Okay. Yeah. Like you can do it, but you'll still get to your destination if you buy the economy ticket. Yeah. Like you can, uh, and it, so that still exists. You can like jump the line and get like a scene in a nicer office or like, and wake up in a single little ho- like hotel room looking ward <laughs> yeah, yeah. rather than a shared ward. And that's like, that's but, how it should be. Like, I don't even think, like, I don't want to, right now, I'm on Medicaid, and I don't want to stay on Medicaid. Oh, my God. My doctor's office is above a model train store, and underneath (laughs) a spa. Another model train store. I wish. It's underneath a spa that was busted for hand jobs. Oh. (laughs) And someone showed me the article. They were like, no, that's exactly where your doctor's office is. So now he has to make up for that lost income by getting more patients. It's like a one-stop shop for everything you might need. It's just all in a row. I used to have to drive all over town for model trains, hand jobs, and checkups, but now it's like, (laughs) that's pretty amazing. (laughs) What neighborhood is that? That's that's actually, it's like, um, I think it's near Bryant Park. It was in like a very, like, decent area, too. What was the name of the hand job massage place? Uh, I think it's Spa Garden, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay, nothing that would like even wink at the fact that it's. No, <laughs> I didn't know that until one of my friends was like, "Dude, I go to the same doctor. You know, they were busted for hand jobs right above you, right?" I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, so you don't want Medicaid, but I mean, I, I by the way, if anybody's mistaking what I'm saying, I think we should take care of everyone. And we shouldn't <laughs> let people die because they don't have money. So I'm just saying, like, it's a weird thing that we have to find this. It it, it is a weird like a. Uh trying to serve many, many masters. masters yeah 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 but anyway so you, did you use the finance the actuarial mathematics degree after school for a bit or not um yeah when i because i needed money to get to new york so i had a company hire me right out of college so they could help me <laughs> i didn't read my contract but like i took the signing bonus and then i quit like three months in and i didn't I did realize <laughs> but i didn't realize i would have to give the money back oh you did i did and i was like oh god 
<laughs> did you give it back? Yeah. My mom was oh. like, why'd you give it back? And I'm like, I didn't know I could just not give it back. Yeah, I think you could just not do that. <laughs> I was like, shit. How, how long were you meant to have stayed there for to not have to give them? I'm a- assuming. I think it's a year. Okay. Yeah, but I was like three months in. I was like, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do this. Maybe mine was six months. Maybe that's why I did stay that long. But I remember some people being like, wait, if I leave now, what happens? And everyone's like, they're not going to do anything. It's just something they put in the contract, but they're not going to enforce it. But okay. So then what did you start doing stand up? Oh, I mean, I started in high school. So I was doing, oh, damn. yeah, I was doing stand up in high school and college. And then when I came here. Wow, man. I wonder what I would be doing. Probably not much different, but. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. People always say like, oh, good for you. You started young. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. It was Pretty fucked me up pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> were you hanging out with like yeah older yeah. alcoholics as Holding a sixteen year old? Mostly, and this was like uh, ten years ago. So there, now there's way more females. Like there weren't that many women. But most of them were like these weird, socially awkward dudes. Yeah, <laughs> who didn't want to be seen for a good reason with a seventeen year old girl yeah. at a bar. Or if they did, it's even worse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's like there's no good. Hmm. Matt, did you, you started in college, right? Yeah, yeah. I was like 21 when I did my first gig. And did both of you keep it secret from your non-comedian friends or not? No, I didn't. Well, I couldn't because like my first gigs were at college with like <laughs> oh, in front of like, yeah. they were like student gigs. So it was yeah, just, yeah. yeah, it was like, well, the first thing I did was before I did any gig was I was writing for this college funny paper. Oh, okay. And so that was like, that was the first time like people saw me produce comedy in some shape and then were like uh, and I got to see people enjoying funny things I'd written so and then when a it, time when someone's like oh you think you're funny you well, think you're- uh, yeah and then when oh, I did I my, that yeah well I, I, so, I don't think I would have told like school friends and stuff because I'd found that kind of weird but my university yeah. friends were all the ones who like they already knew I was doing it because they saw my first gig half yeah. of them were like my close friends were all at that gig I, uh, one of the reasons I started comedy in high school was because I thought it would make me popular. Boy, was I wrong. (laughs) Comedy has been the death of so many relationships. Did you have boyfriends in high school who came out to No, I was super unpopular. Like, I didn't even know how to talk to people. So that was like one of the reasons I started comedy. I was like, oh, I'll learn how to be funny and talk to people. And then you you realize that's not what, sorry. Yeah, no, you didn't take take a class or anything, did you? No, I just started doing it, yeah. How did you even think to start doing it? Well, because there was a couple of reasons. The reason I wanted to do it was because Russell Peters went viral amongst all the Indians. Oh, yeah, yeah. And like the Indian kids, because... I came from a small neighborhood where there were no Indians, and then I moved into a high school that had Indians, and then when I got to them, they were like, you don't know what state the Taj Mahal is? You're so fucking white. Don't hang out with us. And I was like, ah! And then like, and then like, so the one, the one way I can really get in with the Indians is by mimicking the career of Russell Peters. That's what I thought. I was like, but I was like, yeah, if I could be like Russell's, all the Indians are going to think I'm cool, I'll have friends, I'll know, I'll be funny. And so like... <laughs> It's good logic. I'm not going to lie. It's solid. It's solid logic. But I spent a year just writing at 16. From 16 to 17, I would just watch as much comedy as I could and just write jokes all day. Of and course. Because like, that's, that's also what people... Like, you, you decide to become a comedian. You don't like overnight become the class clown. You become... The, the slightly weirder kid with a notebook. Yeah, <laughs> like it's yeah, just, yeah. why is she always writing stuff? Yeah, I think Mike Birbiglia, She's even quieter. Birbiglia has the best joke about people assuming you're the class clown. It's like, no, the class clown was the one who just walked in the room and be like, you're gay, you're fat, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, I was the one who was being picked on by the class clown. <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah, it's sort of quiet for a year and then start doing weird things in coffee shops. Yeah, that's the thing is I didn't know I could get on stage that young. It wasn't until like my world history or social studies teacher, I can't remember what class it was, but he was like, yeah, I just came from this like open mic at this coffee shop. And I was like, wait, at a coffee shop? You can do stand up? And then I don't remember if he mentioned it was all ages or there was a young performer, but like I got like the name of the cafe yeah. and that was like the first once you time hit coffee shop up. rather than bar as well you already think well that's a place that's accessible to me i've yeah. been in coffee shops yeah um yeah and of course like of, of course the way like i know i've worked with you on more than one show now so i know how you are like of course you studied it for a year <laughs> <laughs> and just... i did and I, I didn't get to be like a student of comedy the way other people were where they would be like i'm gonna watch Bill Hicks and George Carlin. Like, yeah. I was just collecting scraps of whatever I could grab on Comedy Central when my parents were asleep. So yeah. it was like, like, I didn't know I knew all these great comics because I wasn't memorizing their names, but like, I just knew like Bill Hicks bits, but I didn't know it was Bill Hicks. So it was like a weird yeah, yeah. to come into. Like, this, I had the same thing where like I would see the early Comedy Central shows that would have like, 
20 seconds of a bit and then the next comics thing and they would play Bill Hicks bits that weren't the super edgy ones because he also yeah. had like regular jokes yeah. so when I heard people were like oh yeah he's the edgiest like tool dedicated an album to him <laughs> I'm like you gotta have the joke about like the airplane or whatever because like, he also had this regular ass funny yeah. but not at all topical or he really jokes. stuck it to kids making noises on planes right yeah <laughs> like, I couldn't believe he was this hero that I saw the rest of the stuff I'm like okay yeah but he also knew how to do other kinds of comedy yeah. that's the thing that people who like you know knew when I started in Britain, there's always like a few comics each generation who ruin a generation of open mics. Like there's just always like the Hedberg, you know, uh, or, yeah, yeah, exactly. And now probably now yeah, and now there's like Maria Bamford's and Bill Burr's, yeah, and it's just like who are brilliant like at, at comedy, but then spawn this generation of people who kind of go. I'll do a sh- like it's like a cargo cult version yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. It's like the shape of that without actually knowing what's going on. I think you break out of it eventually. Oh, I, you totally I, do. I was a mini yeah. Russell Peters, and that was a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> was, I mean, it was, it was so I can't bad. imagine you doing that. For that it was so bad, and it was even worse because I didn't know anything about Indians. Like, it's was- <laughs> oh, <laughs> just like these things that are very specific to your parents. So bad, but that's the thing. Like I think you know, everyone starts off aping a few people. When I started in Britain, there was like a it was a real spate of Eddie Izzard and Bill Hicks. Like oh, they were the, they were the, like they were the two really. Eddie Izzard's so hard to copy though. What do you what does copying <laughs> him even look like? Uh, you know, it looks like... like a lot of sort of flights of fancy and random and like saying randomish words. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm kind of done with that. I'm just kind of done with non sequitur stuff. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of anthropomorphizing words. animals as well. Uh, okay, um, and playing that out, but like it just, um, but yeah, the people who sort of ate Hicks and then just sort of don't realize that he was a very skilled comedian. Yeah, yeah, and you just get like a yeah, I'm just gonna go up and tell it how. Oh, don't oh, please don't. I, <laughs> I hate that. I hate that so much. I see that with Patrice too, where it's like. Patrice had like some deep-seated issues with women, but they came yeah. from a very honest and very personal space, and he was so brilliant. You could tell, and he, and he was so charming and skilled as a comic. Yeah, and then you just have these dudes who are like, "Let's just talk about women," and I'm like, "Oh no!" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can. I, I I almost can't think of anyone worse to to try and copy than Bill than Patrice. Patrice O'Neill. Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, uh, hey, doubling back to your previous life. Uh, you know who's could have done with some actuarial skills <laughs> to evaluate their life expectancy? Uh, the, the the dinosaurs. Oh, okay. There we go. I was wondering where, where we were going with this. Well, there's a couple of cool dinosaur stories. There's a cool fossil story that we should get to in a second because loads of people sent that in. But also there was a story from last week that um, scientists who drilled into the impact crater associated with the demise of the dinosaurs... Um, Reckoned that it could not have hit a worse place on Earth. Mm-hmm. It, it was, the timing, it was a sweet spot to make sure it did. Yeah, the, the timing of it. If it had been a fraction of a second later or earlier, and the Earth had rotated a tiny bit, it wouldn't have been nearly as damaging. But it Whoa. hit. Yeah, yeah, it hit a. Uh, they recovered rocks from under the Gulf of Mexico that were hit by the asteroid sixty-six million years ago. Um, it the shallow sea covering the target site meant colossal volumes of sulfur from the mineral gypsum were injected into the atmosphere, extending the global winter period that followed the immediate firestorm. Had it struck a different location, the outcome might have been very different. Um, so if it had struck a few moments earlier or later, it might have hit deep ocean, which would have meant much less vaporized rock, uh, including the gypsum. The cloud would have been less dense and sunlight could have still reached the planet's surface, meaning what happened next could have been avoided. Uh, in this cold, dark world, food ran out of the oceans within a week, and shortly after on land, with nothing to eat anywhere on the planet, the mighty dinosaurs stood little chance of survival. Um, so Ben Garrett, this researcher, spent time on the drill rig that was stationed 30 kilometers off of Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula in April and May last year. To better understand the aims of the project, uh, Alice Roberts... Who are these people? Uh... <laughs> I'm just reading this article. I'm like, who are these different people that are just being introduced? Like, we know them already. Oh, Ben Garrett and Alice Roberts visited widely separated fossil beds in the Americas. Are they the researchers? Are they just people reporting? Who knows? Uh, it says Alice Roberts. Uh, they didn't give a title for Alice, I don't think. No. You're right. Yeah. yeah. They recovered uh, rock cores from up to 1,300 meters beneath the Gulf. The lower section of this material came from a feature within the crater called the Peak Ring. 
This is made from rocks that have been heavily fractured and altered by immense pressures. By analyzing the properties, the drill project team, led by Professors Joe Morgan and Sean Gullick, hope to reconstruct how the impact proceeded and the environmental changes it brought about. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, it's because it's reporting on a BBC Two program. There we go. So I guess they're the presenters of it. Okay. That's who they are. Mm. <laughs> but they... They know the energy that went into making the crater was equivalent to a uh, 10 billion Hiroshima bombs. Jeez. Yeah, that's a fair amount. Yeah, 10 billion of oh them. That's God. a lot. Because I'd say even like 10 of them is a lot, really. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would, I would say no if someone offered 10, 10 of those. Yeah, I'd say like <laughs> to happen right now. I'd be like, oh, no, I'm, I'm like if you find out that a country has like 10 billion bo- like uh, atom bombs. You'd be like, no, you need that's to. That's too much. That's too, too, it's many. too many. It's too many. I think even Kim Jong Un would be like, I'm okay with five. Yeah, I don't think yeah. <laughs> one billion. Guys, we're being excessive here. <laughs> this is what are we crazy? Uh, so, th- I didn't even know if it, I until reading this article, I wasn't even sure that everyone was 100 percent in consensus about where the exact site was and how big the impact was. I thought there were debates about whether maybe even the entire. I'm going to sound su- super stupid by saying this, but I thought there was some. There were some people who theorized that maybe the entire Gulf of Mexico was a crater. I think that's how big the impact was, but that's uh, obviously uh, not the uh, case. I don't know. We, we we have listeners who might know. Our professor of geology might know. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got an email from... Oh, I love this because I love being uh, proven wrong. John Burshaw, uh, professor <laughs> of geology at Portland State. By the way, thank you everyone who came out to our live show at Bridgetown. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. And um, John said he, he meant to come out, but he, he couldn't make it. But... Um, he heard me talking about how I I had heard somewhere that the if you took the length of a river from its start to finish, like as the crow flies, the ratio of its actual meander to that as the crow flies, I had thought was pi over two. I'd heard that. Like it's all basically it amounts to semicircles because eventually they'll dig farther and farther around and then short circuit uh-huh. themselves, you know? And I think um he had heard that also. Here yeah, okay. I'll read his his, his email in its entirety. Um, so yeah, he's if, a geology professor at Portland State, where he teaches sedimentology and strat and stratigraphy, which deals with river uh, fluvial fluvial deposits along. Uh, yeah, so we said it would be. Uh, I, I, I thought it would be pi over two, which um, is approximately one point six to one. Yeah, and he, he said they refer to that ratio in rivers as sinuosity. Anyway, this article in The Guardian that he links to indicates that a survey of over 250 rivers globally gives an average sinuosity or sinuosity of 1.94. So it's pretty far off. It's not that far off. But I mean, not, not, not yeah. enough that it's, it's not close enough that you could be like, oh, isn't that a cool thing? Like if it was, ex- if it was within 1%, you'd be like, oh, that's really cool that it averages out to that, but it's not at all. So I don't know where I heard that, but it's not true. So thank you, John, for listening. <laughs> that's pretty cool, though. I, yeah. lo- I love it when we have professors writing into correctness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. And I'd spent some time Googling this and I couldn't find anything like this. So it's, uh, I'm glad that this exists. Um, do we want to talk about the perfect dinosaur fossil? Let's do that. The More perfect dinosaurs. fossil. Best pr- shockingly lifelike dinosaur fossil makes its public debut. It was 18 feet long and built like a tank. Now its mummified remains have emerged from oil sands, an oil sands mine in Canada. Uh, fuck you, CNN. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have picked the CNN version of the story. <laughs> Uh, this is uh, regular listeners to the show will know our, uh, my pet hate, which is bad jokes opening sci- science articles. Um, no, it's not the plotline of a summer blockbuster. It's science. <laughs> Breathtaking, take you back in time science. Jesus, CNN. <laughs> uh, meet Nodosaur, the crown jewel of a newly opened dinosaur exhibit at the Royal Terrell Museum of Paleontology. What makes it unique? Uh, who is writing this article? <laughs> Isn't it size? I we get love... it. Dinosaurs were big, but it's almost unprecedented state of preservation. Uh, considering it's roughly 110 million years old, the sleeping giant uh, you see when you look at it is astounding. You don't see bones. Most of the skeleton is undetectable because it's covered in fossilized skin and, as the museum describes it, encased in intact body armor. Uh, I'll find you a picture of it. Wow. Hang on. It's just replayed. But I thought this is what it looks. This like. is going to be real ignorant of me. I thought weren't they saying that um, dinosaurs, like the majority of them, were more bird-like and had feathers? Now, uh, you might see pits where feathers were. But there you go. That's pretty amazing. That's crazy. Yep. 
18 feet long, weighs 2,500 pounds, this fossil. Um, <clears throat> Holy shit. Yeah. yeah so these it's no- like an incredible shape. Yeah. yeah it's really nice. It does look like a cast, like a plastic cast that someone's made. Um, Notosaurs were herbivores who walked on four legs and were covered in tank-like armor and dotted with spikes for protection, according to the Smithsonian. It's a new species and a new genus. Museum experts say it's the oldest known dinosaur from Alberta. So this is a Canadian dinosaur, um, but like from the plains. Um, and the most well-preserved of the armored dinosaurs ever on Earth. So, the, okay, so these were armored. These were. Okay. Um, the museum worked in tandem with the National Geographic Society in researching the new uh, nodosaur, which is featured in the June issue of National Geographic. It was found in 2011. An unsuspecting excavator operator uncovered the historic discovery while digging in an oil sands mine. Uh, six years and 7,000 painstaking reconstructions, reconstruction hours later. Oof. 7,000. And the notice was ready to meet the public. Doesn't that, like, give human beings any sort of, like, you know, like, chills? Like, you're li- literally destroying the planet by, like, going to these oiled fields and then looking at, like, a group of creatures that were wiped out yeah, <laughs> by yeah. this planet. Like, none of that seems like the ghost of Christmas future to you. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's a great point. We will live forever. (laughs) This will never happen to us. Go hubris. (laughs) Yeah, what if we just get a Pompeii explosion right now and we're just frozen with microphones in our hands, future generations to see. That's hilarious. By the way, I misread the, uh, I don't know how I missed this, but um, John Birdshaw, the professor at uh, Portland State, said he did come to see us. I thought he skipped out on the show because it was a sunny afternoon. He said the opposite. He skipped out on a Sunday afternoon to see us live at Bridgetown. So thank you, John. I appreciate that. Hey, (laughs) John. Come and say hi next time. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel bad that we didn't have to. I didn't have time to stick around just because I had to do other festival stuff right away. Is it so. weird that I'm like? I feel like I don't, I don't think I have anyone that would come see me. But even if they did, I wouldn't be like, oh, don't, don't stick around. I'm just gonna weird you out. Yeah. <laughs> no. But- <laughs> like I'm not as much fun as I am on stage. You don't want to see this. <laughs> Well, luckily, we're doing a science podcast, so we can't get more boring in person. I don't think so. Yeah, if you see us, please do say hi. We're very, very approachable. Um, I, I quite like this story about um, just got sent in just just under the wire about by Alistair Willett about flamingos. Oh, I didn't see it yet. I'll have to bring it up. It's at the bottom of the document there, Andy. Oh, thank you. Flam- by the way, uh, people can send us emails. Uh, people can send us stories, probablyscience at gmail.com, and we always appreciate that. Yeah, and you can tweet us at probablyscience as well. But Flamingo Balancing Act saves energy, <laughs> according to a study. They actually expend less energy standing on one leg than in a two-legged stance, which seems counterintuitive because you'd think the more legs you have you're balanced on the more stable you are and the less you'd have to then do to stabilize yourself but then again have you ever heard about like if you're at a concert one time i was at an iron and wine concert in the heyday of iron and wine like 2004 ish and they made an announcement before the show to remind people not to lock their knees because people were passing out at shows because they were standing so (laughs) still Really? Yeah, I guess if you don't move your legs, your it, knees are both locked and you just kind of stand super They're like, still this is not a dancey band, yeah, so we need to send this band. announcement. Please bend your knees at some point during this concert <laughs> or do a flamingo stance. That's, that's really funny. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it said uh, maybe their signature pose, but how and why the birds perch on one limb has been a longstanding puzzle. Now a team from the U.S. has shown that flamingos employ no active muscular effort when they're up when they're unipedal, meaning they also expend less energy. Uh, a massive mechanism, a passive mechanism, is engaged in the one-legged position, allowing flamingos to stand proud while having a doze. Previously, researchers had wondered whether the one-legged position might help reduce muscle fatigue as the birds alternated from standing on one leg to the other. Other teams have proposed this behavior helps regulate body temperature. But now Professor Yang Hui Chang from Georgia Institute of Technology and Lee H. Ting of Atlanta's Emory University have uncovered the mechanical secrets behind this impressive trick. The researchers conducted several experiments with both live and dead birds. Amazingly, they found that flamingo, flamingo cadavers could be made to stand one-legged without any external support. I'm amazed that hadn't been discovered before. Yeah, like that's, that's, oh, that's hysterical. That's I mean, how much... Come on, scientists, have a little fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, get some dead birds and try to prop them up. Let's oh, you've stack got to... Up some- like so there's another lab somewhere that's had a thousand flamingo cadavers. They've got nothing with and Like we could have been standing them up. Why didn't we think to try it? Or just one scientist who does nothing to do with flamingos and just has a bunch of dead standing flamingos. Like I couldn't tell the secret. <laughs> the one scientist with the coolest yard suddenly his secrets revealed. No one believed him for yeah. years. 
Uh, so in a paper published in the Royal Society Journal Biology Letters, they describe this phenomenon as a passive gravitational stay mechanism, which is a little grandiose for just saying they can stand up. Uh, if you look at the bird from the front, while they're standing on one leg, the foot is directly beneath the body, which means that their leg is angled inward. That's the pose you have to strike in order to engage the stay mechanism, Professor Chang told BBC News. However, dead birds cannot stand unsupported on two legs. Weird. Suggesting a greater role for active muscle force in this posture. If you tilt it to the vertical like you would if you were standing on two legs, the whole thing disengages, said the director of the Comparative Neuromechanics Laboratory at Georgia Tech. The researchers also studied live birds and showed that when they were standing one-legged and resting, they hardly moved at all, underlining the stability of that position. However, the birds did sway somewhat when the one-legged posture was combined with an activity such as grooming or calling out. So, yeah, the underlying anatomical apparatus that enables the passive posture was not yet understood. That's their next step in their research. But he explained the phenomenon did not involve the limb joints locking. A lock would imply that it's fixed in both directions. What we found is that it's fixed in one direction, but flexible in the other. So we call it a stay rather than a lock. It's more akin to a doorstop. Um, Dr. Matthew Anderson, an experimental psychologist who specializes in animal behavior at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia, said this is a significant step forward. Um, the researcher... we. This is a, this is another classic BBC trick. Like no no involvement, no yeah. never spoken to the team. But it goes like they just found another scientist. Uh, um, but he added, they begin to answer the question of how flamingos are able to rest on one leg. Importantly, these authors do not examine when and where flamingos actually utilize the behavior in question, and thus this paper does not really ish- address the issue of why flamingos rest while on one leg. Sounds like a little jealous. A little <laughs> jealous. It sounds like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you got the physiology, yeah. but not the psychology, which I would wager is a far more important uh, but aspect of... But where's the flamingo's heart? Yeah, what about yeah. the soul of the flamingo? Um, but uh, Dr. Anderson's own research suggests that the birds adopt the unusual posture in order to conserve heat. Among other things, his team found that the number of birds resting on one leg apparently falls as temperature ri- temperatures rise. Yeah, pr- ah, so it's not their research, it's his research. Yeah, yeah, so he's like, let's get to talking about this temperature stuff again. <laughs> yeah, okay, it locks, fine, fine. Uh, providing evidence of the mechanism that supports or allows this behavior to occur does not necessarily provide insight into why it happens in the first place. Then, yeah, you don't know in which order they have, I mean, this sort of, if the evolution of that trait happened. I think everyone, you know, there's this classic uh, temperature versus stable position feud <laughs> we all know what you know, scientists your favorite scientist is on one side or the other when it comes to flamingo stances we all have to pick a side and this is i think the tupac is obviously this temperature dude and uh, uh also there's like multiple advantages it doesn't have to be one or the other yeah you know? i think it does though as dr anderson shows us <laughs> yeah you gotta pick a side so that's cool who sent that story in uh that story was sent in by alistair, alistair willett thank you alistair Oh, and Renee Colvert, uh, uh, host of Can I Pet Your Dog, a great podcast you should listen to, sent in the um, dinosaur asteroid story. Thank uh, you, Renee. Um, I, I quite like this little story about um, Italy and vaccines. Oh, yeah. You love vaccine stories. I do love a good vaccine story. Um, I'm Having uh, not been vaccinated for something important, as we've talked about. Wait, what? That's <laughs> what there was a there was an episode of the show where I had whooping cough because I didn't get the whooping cough vaccine when I was younger because my mum fell for a vaccine scam um, bullshit oh, whatever you call them <laughs> myth. Isn't that crazy? I couldn't believe that. Yeah. Yeah, like that was the one, and and I the crazy thing was I talked about it on the show a while ago, and I'm like I think I've been vaccinated since at some point. And one of our listeners wrote in to remind me of that when I was like, hey, guess what I had the last week that making me very ill. Oh, it came up before you got sick? Oh, yeah. I'd mentioned it like two years earlier on the podcast oh. in one of the earlier episodes. And one of our listeners at the time had written in going, has Matt got his vaccine yet? And then wrote in two years later, like ceasing, the, like, like, quoting the previous email. I fact that I have. I just assume. I, I don't have my records, I don't think. But well, Yeah, I don't yeah. remember. I don't I don't know what my mom did. I mean, she actually I don't know what she believes. <laughs> well, ver- various well, ver- it, back in the day, various vaccine bullshit myths tend to be tended to be regional and focused, whereas now thanks to the internet, they spread what further wide, but 
1980 uh and like the in the early 80s in britain it was the whooping cough vaccine was the one that supposedly i don't know caused brain damage or whatever the fuck it whatever the fuck the wrong thing was that was being claimed my mum fell for it and that's why i wasn't vaccinated and that's why my mom is pretty pro vaccine because one of my uncles has polio i think you can't like knock vaccines (laughs) through that period and then yeah yeah. Yeah, when you got fairly direct evidence of (laughs) oh this is important yeah uh so paul steenbeck sent in this story that italy has made 12 vaccinations compulsory for children that's good yeah um before they can enroll in state-run schools they have to have these ones. Uh, Prime Minister Paolo Gent- uh, Gentiloni blamed a decrease in vaccinations in part on a spread of anti-scientific theories. Italy has recorded nearly three times as many measles cases this year than for all of 2016. Who has the balls to take on science? I'm, you know what I mean? It's like Gwyneth Paltrow. It's like, what? <laughs> you're, not even, you're not a scientist. I'm going to use my acting skills to get to the bottom <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> it's just the death of es- expertise because everyone assumes that because all information is accessible via the internet, I can become an expert in something in yeah. a matter of Dude, three Google searches. That's I what like, it is. I can't even understand like my STD results. Like I'll see. I'm dead serious. <laughs> you got to go to the porn STD clinic. Do you know about that place? No. Jesse told me about it. And so I did that one time because I was like, yeah, why not just get it all done the place where the professionals go? It was a place where like people in the industry go and they give you like get an official out. stamp all clear. So theoretically, I can go work in porn now. And they also, if you give them a producer's name, they'll email the results to the producer That's who, who require that for you to be on set. But it's yeah. like next day results and they yeah. use like yeah, the... Yeah. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> no, yeah. I might grab that you address out of pocket, off of you. Like, it's very thorough. <laughs> no, no doubt. They have like green or red for everything. So that's if it's all so green, you're, you're all good. There's no... It broke it down to yeah, green and red. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be like, if you're about to shoot a scene, you don't want to be start going like, hang on, wait a second. What is, so less, <laughs> that's the less than symbol, less than 0.30. What is that? That's I like, and I was like probable negative probability of false positive. No, you just want like a yes. I know. And I'm just sitting there like, wait, reactive. He's like, that's because you've been vaccinated. I was like, oh God, I just uh... had a heart attack. <laughs> scary like it's simple result i can't even read them like to imagine but that the word could... reactive never sounds like it should be good no. yeah you just you just want a thing that says like do i need to call my ex like do i need to am i about to have some awkward phone conversations with people i know or am i good to bone like that's what you need but then the problem with getting that all clear is like maybe i should pursue a different career now now that i know it's an option like it's a little too tempting yeah, yeah they only test for disease they don't test for like ability to block out oh. a camera crew and keep okay. going okay. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's i think that's that's the bigger inhibitor to doing mm-hmm. porn mm-hmm. <laughs> what were we talking about i totally forgot um we're talking about uh children oh, so i'm kind of yeah, worried yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how do we get back into that um apologies sorry i always around. start talking about sex when people bring up children no, <laughs> just yeah, yeah. Well, Jesse isn't here anymore, so we have to have someone who's going to take it to a weird place. Um, uh, So if children are not vaccinated by the age of six, which is the school starting age, their parents will be fined. Conspiracy theories about the health risks of certain vaccinations, largely based on one discredited paper, have circulated around the world, leading some parents to shun immunization. And in Italy, the number of two-year-olds vaccinated against measles has dropped from more than 90 to below 80, Mm. which is well short of the World Health Organization's recommended coverage of 95% or more. That's, I presume, like what you need to get that herd immunity. Mm -hmm. Measles is highly contagious and can lead to death. That's so bad. Yeah, It's, it's not good. Uh, do you want to? In fact, you've got the article in front of you already, oh, yeah. haven't you? I'm cheating. I, I was going to say, do you want to play a? Do you want to play a guess the diseases quiz? I would. <laughs> I'd, I'd be able to get maybe five of these. Maybe. Um, oh no, maybe six. Well, a couple of them have already been named. Mm-hmm. Can you guess, Suba? Do you want to try to guess the twelve <laughs> conditions that sure. children must be immunized against? Uh, well, I'm going to say uh, measles. Yep. Uh, well, I don't know if you get vaccinated or for, against meningitis as a child. Uh, yep. Yep. Both okay. we'll B- both meningitis B and C. So I'm going to give those both to you. That's yes. another two off the list. Um, uh, what else do you need? Well, um, is uh, what does shingles come from? Is that shingles That's is originally chickenpox, chicken right? and that is another one on the Got list. It. Sure. I'm going to give you that. Uh, let's see. What else is there? Man, so many childhood diseases. One we already talked about. <laughs> Whooping cough. Yep. 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 Uh, and another one that's already been discussed 
in your family. Polio? Bingo. <laughs> Already had six. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Um, well, measles normally comes as a as a group of three. There's a triple vaccine that they oh, normally really? do. Okay, I didn't know that. What else? Is it MMR? It is MMR, and the other two, the other M and the R, are mumps and rubella. Oh. And that's all of them except for, or no, there's still uh, four left. Then yeah, there's a couple I think less likely to get. There's diphtheria. Tetanus, hepatitis tetanus. B, tetanus, yeah, uh, yeah, hepatitis B, um, and then hemophilus influenza B. I'm not sure what that is. That's I the one that I didn't recognize. I didn't know you could get vaccinated against tetanus. Does that mean you can just go play with rusty nails the rest of your life? <laughs> they encourage totally it. Oh, okay. Good. Uh, yeah, I remember getting the tetanus vaccine. But, uh, like, but seriously, does that really, mean you can't get it? No, I think you would have to get like boosters after a certain age at a that's what I thought for yeah. it to still or be if you, if you cut yourself on something rusty don't you have to go do something even if you have been vaccinated uh yeah I'm not sure well tetanus is meant to be boosted every 10 years anyway and so I'd oh, imagine okay. a lot of people have lapsed had, yeah had that lapse but yeah um it's a strong message they're sending to the public uh says health minister Beatrice Lorenzen um in recent years, a loose group of campaigners against vaccinations dubbed the anti-vax movement has dissuaded people from opting into immunizations by citing supposed risks. A long discredited paper by Andrew Wakefield was behind much of the scare, but rumors around immunization have continued to spread, leading to public health risks as not enough people are immune to such diseases. Uh, Andrew Wakefield was struck off the UK med- medical register after fraudulently claiming there was a link between the MMR vaccine and autism and bowel disease in children. He made the study based on the experiences of just 12 children and no other study since has been able to replicate his results. Oh, shit. Okay, that was the study someone showed to me. I didn't know it had been discredited. Oh, yeah, yeah, fully. Like, he was he was even convicted of fraud. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. That's so bad. And now he's in America working in a private clinic. So it's Hilarious. all good. Uh, oh, that's course. good. Slam that on his feet. That's great. Nice <laughs> to hear. Fuck that guy. And well done, Italy. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of uh, damage you can do as a child... Um, I'm covered in scars from various childhood wounds. I don't know if you guys are. Um, I'm looking at my hand right now. I, I broke this on a piece of plate glass when I was 17, and I cut through so much skin that I can't feel the skin on the rest of my thumb below that. Really? Yeah. Shit. Anyway, that's your guitar-picking hand. That's my guitar. It's on, only on the one side of the thumb, so it doesn't really matter that much. But um, if if I had done that this year, I might be in luck because there's a muscle, M-U-S-S-E-L, Gloop that can be used to to make wounds gloop. knit without any scars. Gloop is in the headline on NewScientist.com. <laughs> like a gloop that comes from a muscle as yeah. in the shellfish. The, right, not the, yeah. Uh, the humble muscle could soon help us prevent scarring or help us from prevent scarring if you're not British. Get out of here. Uh, a sticky substance naturally secreted by the marine animal is one element of a glue that closes skin wounds seamlessly in rats. The glue could be used to prevent unsightly scars after accidental cuts or surgical operations. Would C-section scars just go away? I would think everything would, right? Um, if this can be replicated in humans, it might be the next big thing for scar therapy, says Alison Cowan at the University of South Australia, who wasn't involved in the study. Why is everyone talking who isn't involved in these studies? Because <laughs> the people who are involved in the study too are too busy, busy doing, doing the, the study. science. Yeah. Uh, scars <laughs> form when the collagen scaffolding and skin is broken apart, and instead of reforming in the original and neat basket weave arrangement, the collagen fibers grow back in parallel bundles that create the characteristic lumpy appearance of scars. Uh, one way to reduce scarring is to apply decorin, a skin protein involved in collagen organization, but because decorin has a highly complex physical structure, it's hard to synthesize and therefore not used in the clinic. To get around this problem, Hyung Jun Cha at Pohang, Pohang University of Science and Technology in South Korea and his colleagues have created a simplified version of decorin. They combine a small section of the decorin protein with a collagen-binding molecule and a sticky substance secreted by muscles. Again, M-U-S-S-E-L. Uh, the resulting glue was tested on rats with deep 8-millimeter-wide wounds. I wonder how they did that. Oh, those uh, poor rats. I know. <laughs> I presume they just like let them play freely, <laughs> and then just like every so often one of them just scuffs their knee in the playground. And... <laughs> That's why we don't have cool playground equipment for rats anymore, because these yeah. snowflake rats, the one their parents are complaining about their... When I was a young rat child, yeah, yeah, we yeah. just play with we broken glass. We jump off 10-foot metal... Okay. Um, <laughs> the glue was spread over each wound and covered with clear plastic film. Uh, rats in the control group had their wounds covered in plastic without any glue. By day 11, 99% of the wound was closed in the treated rats compared with 78% in the control group. By day 28... Treated rats had fully recovered and virtually no visible scarring. In, con- in comparison, control rats had thick purple scars. And this article does have 
if you want scars, if you want rat scar images, this article delivers in a big way. Here's some of the uh, rat scars. Oh God. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, the glue one is way better. It's way better. It definitely looks better. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Still not good for the record. <laughs> uh, what that last lower the lower right one right there? And again, we link to these stories over on probablyscience.com if you guys want to see for yourselves. That's oh. not, not too bad from the before and after. I mean, I'm still looking at a yeah. rat. No You're matter what. You're still looking way. at a rat. Well, the next thing yeah. they're going to try it on is skin. Uh, sorry, is uh, is pigs whose skin better resembles human skin. That's good. I enjoy looking at pig scars. Mm-hmm. Someone told me a, a tattoo artist once told me that they practiced on pigs. Oh, those like poor pig, pigs. But like Live not pigs? living. No, like oh, pig okay. skin. That makes oh, sense. Oh, I thought they were just living. I mean, pigs. still, still poor pigs. <laughs> what if they're just farm well, somewhere with badass? There pigs? was there was, an, there was an artist tattoos. who did that. I can't remember his name, but there's an artist who like he'd anesthetize the pigs and then he tattooed them. That's kind of awesome. I mean, I'm sure it's awful, but so, um, why does that pig seem slutty? Oh, the lower back tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of a tramp stamp pun that involves anything pig related. So uh, this is where I pause the podcast, think of it, and then record it later. That would be a (laughs) insert rat joke here. Pig joke. Uh, I'm going to change that too when I cut all this up. It's going to be so funny, you guys. I can't wait. We'll also put a link to Andy's pig pun on the Squarespace Power Probably Science dot com, where you can also find the donation button. Oh yeah, we haven't thanked donors in a little while. Haven't yeah, we? Uh, thank you very much to uh, Kate Birch. Uh, thank you very very much, Justin Broad, uh, David Worth, Peter Long, Destruction Lane, the Mysterious Destruction Lane, James Cox. Thank you, uh, Paul Freeland, um, John Clarici, Caroline Laco, and also one off donation from Pete Rudy. Thank you guys very much. Um, and uh, yeah, you can find that. You can also find our Amazon shopping list. Well, actually, as we were talking, um, Emma Wilton's monthly donation came in also. Oh, thank you, thank Emma. you Emma. Yeah, apparently uh, some podcasts have been in trouble for telling people to... Um, Maybe we don't even talk about this. Maybe do we don't we? even mention I, uh, I, yeah, um, Go through our Amazon. Like We've got suggestions of things you can buy on Amazon.com, including the new uh, paperback version of... Uh, Grunt by Mary Roach, who was a guest on the show previously, when she was discussing her show in hardback form. The contents of that book are very similar, I'm sure, but Mm. you can now buy it in a cheaper physical format. Yeah. Still an excellent book, as all of Mary Roach's are. So click on our Amazon link and then go buy that book, yeah. And if you buy that uh, or anything else through Amazon, having clicked on that link first, just shopping around in general. Good things might happen. Good things might happen, but (laughs) I'm not specifically telling you to do that because some people have... You've said too much. All right. Do you have something else, Matt? Sorry, I was so preoccupied with whether we're crossing some line. No, I want to talk about it, but talking about it would be bad, right? Yeah, we can't. Okay. Uh, thank you, everyone who sent in warnings. Yes. Yeah, about yeah. some uh, unrelated thing that is nothing to do with that. Uh, hey, the other way you can really help us is yes. by spreading the word and telling loads of people about our show, tweeting, Facebooking, telling friends of friends, buying uh, the things that are advertised on the show, including, I know quite a few of you went to check out Parachute Sheets after we advertised them last week. Uh, keep going through our link for that, because that lets them know that you found out about them through us. So that means parachutehome.com slash science. Uh, when you click on that and just have a look around the website, that lets them know that we're the ones who sent you and hopefully enables us to get some more And I'm still cool sleeping, sponsors. sleeping very well on my linen sheets. I'm very much speak, enjoying them. I can't speak highly enough about how comfortable they are. Uh, well, there's a pretty cool photos of Saturn's rings that a few people sent in. Oh, yeah. I like From that. Cassini's spacecraft. Finish up with some space talk. Yeah, a little space talk. We haven't had any space yet this episode. We've had asteroids, I guess, but not like that's... Look at these pretty freaking... I mean, this is more of a visual thing oh, wait, now. There's literally no words in this, so we're just going to look at pictures and be like, oh, fucking sweet. I wish you could see it. It's like, Badass. oh, it's just fucking cool. Oh, it's the best. I will say, I didn't know about the hexagonal storm that I that is on Saturn's North Pole. Have you seen that before? No. I'm assuming there were already pictures of that, but I hadn't ever. It's like pretty pronouncedly oh, hexagonal. Wow. Yeah, there's a giant storm at the North Pole. Yeah, of that's Saturn. really weird, right? Heather Stanley was the one who sent that in. Thank you for sending that, Heather. Um, is, there are actually a couple other space stories. Another science story sent in by Sean Gordon uh, is about a, a mysterious puffy planet with the density of styrofoam that was recently discovered. What? Puffy planet. Puffy planet. Puffy planet. Ah, oh, that sounds like something from Adventure Time. Doesn't? <laughs> oh, it sounds great. Yeah. Uh, astronomers have found a giant exoplanet larger than Jupiter, but with extremely low mass, a composition that gives this mysterious, quote, puffy planet a density very similar to styrofoam. 
The team who found KELT-11b, which orbits a star located around 320 light years from Earth, said this extraordinarily inflated world is the third lowest density planet with a precisely measured mass and radius that's been discovered. And this oddball lightweight sphere could tell us more about how such strange exoplanets evolve. So it's highly inflated, so that while it's only a fifth as massive as Jupiter, it's nearly 40% larger, making it about as dense as styrofoam with an extraordinarily large atmosphere, says astronomer Joshua Pepper from Lee University in Pennsylvania. Apart from its unusual density, one of the things that makes the exoplanet stand out is its host star's extreme brightness. The star, called KELT-11, I get, I get how that numbering system works then. And then the planet's KELT-11b... Oh, okay, yeah. ...is in the process of evolving into a red giant, meaning it started using up its nuclear fuel, fusing hydrogen in a shell outside its core. Scientists now predict that somewhere within the next 100 million years, the planet will end up being engulfed by its host star as the star's outer layers expand to consume the styrofoam-like world. <laughs> by the... Space is so scary. Yeah, it's terrifying. And by the way, it's I don't know if you've slowly ever slowly scary though. It takes yeah. hundred million years to be scary. <laughs> I don't know if you ever burnt uh, styrofoam, but that's gonna stink. Oh, that's gonna stink up the whole. Oh, it will smell bad. It's gonna be horrible, plasticky. Uh. I don't quite get how. I mean, like they don't suggest it could actually be uniformly that density throughout, right? It would have to get more dense in the middle, wouldn't it? I don't know. Under its own weight, just having you couldn't have. I guess. You couldn't have a ball of styrofoam that is, uh, what, a fifth the mass of Jupiter and have it not be collapsing on itself and becoming, maybe the outermost parts are like less than styrofoam dense, but the innermost have to be way denser than styrofoam, right? Yeah, I don't I'm know. not sure. What do I know about? I'm no astrophysicist. The, the engulf- one week off from when we could have asked somebody about this. So the, so the engulfment won't take long because the planet is very close to the host star. It orbits in less than five days. But before the engulfment happens, the planet stands to teach scientists more about its atmospheric makeup because of the intense brightness generated by its star. It's in fact the brightest visible star in the southern hemisphere that's known to host a transiting planet. Which, uh, that refers to how the planet it's the passes between star. the star. Yeah, it, so a transiting planet is one with a planet that orbits so it comes between the star and us. So it, it crosses the path. And this is the brightest star, visible star in the Southern Hemisphere that has one of those. Okay. So that transit is how astronomers often detect exoplanets, as the amount of light space telescopes receive from these distant stars dips slightly as the exoplanet passes in front of them. We had an episode years ago, an early episode about exoplanets. With and, uh, Alex Lockwood, right? Yeah, and we were talking about that. So that's one of the ways they detect these exoplanets. They look at the star, and at a fairly regular interval, there's just a slight dip in the light that comes from it, and they realize, oh, that must be when the planet is partially obscuring its view. And isn't there another way also just by the fact that it it changes the... What is the other way? Is it just the fact that the gravity of the planet itself slightly alters the... I think there is, yeah, a slight wobble as well sometimes they look for. But in the case of this one, the subgiant's intense luminosity meant that the dip in light was barely recognizable uh, to astronomers using the Kelt uh, survey, KELT. Oh, okay, so that's also... Why the names are all Kelt. Yeah, yeah. so that's the Kilo Degree Extremely Little Telescope. So it's... um, That's right, I think I knew that. The stars get their names from... The, the star is named, its initial numer- numbering system is just... The initials of the telescope that discovers it, followed by a number. And then the planets have letters off the back of that. There we go. That makes sense. The discovery was very challenging. The initial... That's no fun. Right? Yeah. You should get the right... If you find something, you should get the right to just give it some stupid name. Call it some cool shit. Yeah, yeah. Caden. Uh, (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Well, I think they do eventually. They eventually get to name stuff out of after real people or who get to give them the names. But the initial... Cody. Cody, categorization. Planet Cody? Ugh. <laughs> Planet just Cody never returns a... your text messages. <laughs> the discovery was very challenging. The original observations of the star show its light curve only showed a hint of the transit. Because the transit is both shallow, a little under 3% change in brightness, and long, it's very difficult to obtain reliable, complete confirmation observations. But follow-up observations eventually confirm the existence of of the planet, and now the extreme backlight that made its initial discovery so difficult could help the team figure out how the composition of its atmosphere 
uh, is, and that could provide clues on how this styrofoam world got so unusually inflated. As it stands, it's about as twice as large as the scientists can explain, given its mass and proximity to the host. But now we know it is there, it's a great opportunity to find more about these styrofoam-like planets and what makes them so big but so sparse at the same time. And it's so good to know that when we start to travel out into the far reaches of, of the universe, we'll have somewhere we can put our drinks and they'll stay cold, right? Like, that is a, a lot great, of drinks. Yeah. <laughs> like, we can make bike helmets. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many things. We can send packages. Oh, yeah, it's the shipping planet. Yeah, what if, <laughs> what if there's like an Amazon galaxy and they just use that, they just like peel off parts of that and put it in their space boxes? <laughs> Do you think Elon Musk is actually going to settle Mars? Like he's actually going to send people there in our lifetime? I don't know. I, 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 think, I, I think in our lifetime, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with various space programs, but I think it's looking more and more likely that... Someone will die on Mars? <laughs> yeah. That it looks more and more likely that someone will get to get to at least within a Mars orbit within our lifetime. Do you think they're going to, do you think the first missions are going to be orbiting and not landing and coming back? Oh, well, that's what they were for the moon. I know, but it's fucking Mars. Like, can you, who would sign up for that? <laughs> like, at least I get the suicidal people who are like, let me land on Mars and I'll spend my last days there. But I don't think anyone's going to be like, yeah, sign me up to be like a hundred miles above it and never touch down. I don't know. And then die. People sign up for some weird shit. That's true. That's true. <laughs> It might not be the people you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just launch a bunch of juggalos. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I want to go on the juggle on the on the uh, with ga- the gathering of the space juggalos at Mars. Yeah, we got a lot of free Rock, time. Shoot Illinois. us up in the atmosphere. Fuck it. <laughs> All right. Oh, you got our supplies. <laughs> got a tattoo gun. Fago. I, I have never laughed harder than when that first video came out about the gathering of the juggalos I think it was like 10 years ago did you ever see that video advertising no. all the things that happened in like the fresh ass comedy tent with Jimmy J.J. Walker and, that's amazing yeah. Oh my God! Would you do it? Would you do a gig at the gathering? Because I know no, various friends of Hannibal, ours have been booked to yeah, do it. Didn't they, people oh get things God. thrown at them? Didn't like Tina Tequila get a battery in the head? At, <laughs> yeah, Bobcat's yeah. done it. Oh Did he get hurt? I, I think no, but I think oh he like God. old Bobcat did it up. A, like he was like full oh, okay. on character. I'm just he was like give you a Police Academy Bobcat. Yeah, yeah. he was, like he's talked about it on stage. Like he's like it's just like he fucking once he saw the shit show that it was he was like I'm gonna dance yeah. for my life and then I'm gonna get the hell out of here didn't Eric Andre and maybe Hannibal Burris do it I would not be surprised in the slightest that's amazing yeah, yeah. I, I can't think of anyone better equipped to handle it than Eric Andre yeah, yeah. and the, the lunatic mess that he is I think people have gotten hit in the head with things I don't know if it was limited to Tila Tequila or if everyone they definitely will stop throwing stuff yeah <laughs> The juggalos never. Which which makes them all the better for colonizing a possibly dangerous you new don't know planet. What's down exactly. there. You gotta send some juggalos down. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the first three missions are just stockpiling Fago Fago like styrofoam coolers on the planet, and then yeah, unmanned missions that land first. They yeah. put a wrestling ring down there. <laughs> <laughs> so like a mud pit. The pod full of hatchets. Yeah, <laughs> tattoo guns galore. <laughs> Oh God! It's 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 like one of those groups you can never get in trouble. There's never going to be like an anti juggalo defamation league who comes after you for, you know well, what I mean? Like, well, there was like didn't wasn't there a thing where they tried to get like they turn turn out the FBI had designated them as a like a gang group. or like hate group or gang or oh, something that's like. Amazing. And then they were trying to legally fight this because we we're like they're like no that we have people who share an interest we're not some. <laughs> and I think with I think justifiably as well. I, I will stick up for juggalo rights on that one. Okay, yeah, yeah. I like that the FBI did feel the need to classify them. It's <laughs> the, even on their radars, yeah. <laughs> that someone's having to, someone's gone through FBI Academy and then they're like having to start a file on what a juggalo is, <laughs> having to explain to their superiors. Like there must be all of those things, all these like crazy internet subgroups <laughs> where someone at like the FBI has to report to a superior, like, well, this is... Like yeah, the, what's yeah, the name of those know. guys? Rude boys or whatever their name is. Oh, the proud boys. Proud boys. There we go. Those are, yeah, it's a new. This is a, like offshoot of the alt right. They they call uh, okay, themselves okay. the proud. But yeah, there'll be a file on them. Yep. I guarantee you, there is a file on them. And some kind of. And all the FBI, FBI would have department. to do to stop jugglers is just like uh, revoke their mother's driver's licenses, <laughs> and then there's no more. <laughs> there's no more gathering. There's no more. <laughs> 
Juggalo's hitchhike, man. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I thought everyone got a ride from in their do- in their mom's Dodge Voyager. I thought they just <laughs> crawled out of the sewers like the clown from It. <laughs> <laughs> they seem like sewer people. Yeah, they're sewer. If we have any Juggalo listeners, I'm sorry, but also we don't. There's no possible way you're. A I juggalo. think we might. I think we might have a few Juggalo scientists. A few Juggalo Americans. Oh my God. Okay, I don't care if you actually are a juggalo. Write to us and make a fake Gmail account. And pretend you're a juggalo so we can read your juggalo email on the podcast and defend your juggalo ways. Suba, where can our listeners find out more about you and where you're performing and what you do? You can find me on Twitter at, at Suba. That's S U B H A H. Or on Instagram. I apologize for the pun. It's Subhaha. I'm going to change it one day, but it's S U B H A H. Come on, you got a high name. How do you not? Yeah, yeah. With that, or if you Google me, you can find my website and Facebook and stuff. But yeah, we'll, we'll put links to that as well in the show notes and uh, on the website. You can find us individually at prob- uh, well, you can find us collectively at probablyscience.com and at probablyscience individually at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen. Yep. Give us a little follow. And June 6th on Comedy Central, that's when the Jim Jeffrey show is starting, and you'll see a few words that each of us has chucked onto the script, including maybe a word of your yeah. choosing. <laughs> Email us a word, and Matt will try to sneak it in. We'll or see. Maybe he won't. No promises. <laughs> I promised for him. I'm not even working on the show. We'll see. But right. in the meantime, thank you so much for joining yeah, us, Eva. Oh, and thank you, listeners. Me. We'll see you next see week. You next week.